Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. If you have it, say, mm-hmm. That was in harmony right there. That was pretty good. See what happens when you pray? Even your humming is in harmony. Verse 1 says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses. Somebody say grumbled. Somebody say grumbled. Against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. That's a heavy statement right there. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. Somebody say, test them. And see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Jump down to verse 8. Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat and in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling. Somebody say grumbling. It says grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. Remove me. Place your Holy Spirit behind this pulpit. Let he that has an ear, let him hear. And Father, let our faith grow even in the wilderness, even in the desert, even in the process. We give you the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name. We all said, before you're seated, shake your neighbor's hand and tell them, keepers of the jar. Then you may be seated. Now, many of us know this story of the children of Israel and Moses and the ten plagues. Many of us have heard this, whether you were in Sunday school as a kid, you were here at this church, or you came from another church. It's a very famous story. And it's famous for the parting of the Red Sea. But pretty much that's where the fame stops. The fame stops at the parting of the Red Sea because that was a very public and very publicized miracle. Cartoons are made after it. Movies have been made after it. Books have been written five times over about it. But not many people like to talk and write about the desert. The desert is where it dries up. But here in this portion of Scripture, we see several weeks After leaving Egypt, the people began to murmur and complain against Moses on several accounts. What I have learned is that when you are in the desert, many people will murmur. Now, this was several weeks after. We are several weeks outside of January 1st. And if we're honest, many of us made New Year's resolutions and we said, I am going to do it. I am going to change. I am going to work out in 2017. January 1st, I'm doing it. January 3rd, I don't know. 
January 1st, man, I am not going to spend a dollar more than what I have to. I'm getting out of debt. January 5th, well, you know, it was right there. You know, I was going to buy it. The Red Sea was the Israelites January 1st. New year, new country, new promised land, new everything. Everything is coming. Weeks later, well, you know, we had it better when we were back there in Egypt. I think the word murmur is like the only word that actually sounds like what it is, right? Murmur, Exactly what it says, exactly what it is. You know what I found is that many people, even in the church, begin to murmur. Did you know that? If they will murmur against Moses, then pretty sure they'll murmur against any leader. These were the children of Israel who saw miracle ha miracles happen right before their very eyes. I can imagine Moses having to go through and, and, and kind of get all these balls and keep them up in the air. Okay, this tribe and oh wait, but this tribe and you know these people and these people and you got to keep. And as Moses, he's got man, what do I do here? I got to keep all this stuff. And if one ball drops, it's my fault. If one ball drops, it's their fault. Nobody ever wanted to take it for themselves because that's what murmuring is. Murmuring. If you would have never done this, this would have never happened. And so here's Moses. He has to kind of keep all these balls up in the air. Nothing can drop. But what I love about this story is that we see the nature of God through every setback in the children of Israel. No matter what happened within the children of Israel, the nature and the provision of God was always right there set before them. Can I hear an amen? What, we, what I find here, what we see here is that the Israelites begin to complain against Moses and they forgot about the Egyptians that were chasing them. They forgot about how hungry they were and how thirsty they were, but they began to complain. Somebody say complain. Ogmandino said, do not listen to those who weep and complain, for their disease is contagious. One thing you will find and you will learn is that complaining is contagious. In this episode, it kind of reflects the thick-headedness and the hard-heartedness of the people of Israel. They simply would not trust Moses to be leading by God's will in this matter. Even though they crossed the Red Sea on dry land and they saw the Egyptian army drown, yet they did not understand. The complaining did not allow them to understand what God was doing within their life. As we look at this portion of Scripture, there's a few things that I want to take a look at that what does grumbling look like? Because we hear about it, but I want you to see it right here in the children of Israel. What does grumbling look like? Look at your neighbor and say, what does grumbling look like? Tell your neighbor, it don't look like me. Are you sure about that? Are you positive about that? Because every time, especially when it comes to anything negative, it's easy to push it off. You know what grumbling is? Grumbling is a gratitude problem. Grumbling is a gratitude problem. Grumbling comes as a response to pain or problems within our life. We grumble because we think we should be experiencing pleasure rather than pain, prosperity rather than adversity. We think, no, 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 everything should be going great. I go to church every Sunday, therefore, I should have no problems. My friend, that, that, that's a wrong perspective to have. See, you and I 
And I said it earlier, we should probably be the most grateful people on the face of this earth. Can I hear an amen? We should be able to be the ones that say, God, I'm just so grateful for what you've done within my, li within my life. Whenever we are tempted to murmur and complain, I remember there's a story of a man who said this. He said, my car broke down and it cost me $400 to get it fixed. $400 that I did not have. Why me, Lord? After all, I've been better than most. Why are you treating me this way? Why are you punishing me this way? Then my TV goes on the blink, and then the dishwasher, and then the clothes dryer, and then the lawnmower, and even the iron breaks. Why me, Lord? Besides that, why at my age should I still have financial problems? Why am I not set financially like some others I know? Why have you denied me the opportunities for fame and fortune that have give, you've given to others? Why me, Lord? It wasn't until somebody came up to that man and said, you can ask that question, but flip it around. Why would God give you a car? Why would God give you an iron? Why would God give you a lawnmower to provide every need that you have? See, so far too often, many of us, we think, why is this broken down? When you look at it and say, well, why would God even give that to you? Why should he even give that to you? You and I don't deserve it. We deserve death, hell, and the grave. But it isn't until we realize that we have a heart that is full of gratitude, a heart that is full of thankfulness, that, listen, this could break down, this could mess up, but as long as I am alive and well in God's perfect will, then it doesn't matter what breaks down. God has already broken me. God has already done something great within my life, and for that, I'm grateful. Somebody say, I'm grateful. You know what grumbling also is? Grumbling is also a perception problem. The problem is that when we grumble, our perception is faulty. Grumbling habitually causes us to distort the facts. You ever notice that? Grumbling allows us to distort the facts. In other words, you, it, you exaggerate the memory of the past. That's what was happening with the children of Israel. They were exaggerating the memory of the past. They, were, they, they talked about, man, we were, remember when we were sitting down and we all had meat to eat? Like, wait, wait, weren't you slaves? Well, yeah, but, you know, every once in a while we would sit down. Wouldn't you, like, get beat for not picking up that rock? And, well, yeah, but, you know, you ever notice that? Oh, when you murmur and complain, it totally exaggerates the past. Totally just like, you see, and that's why when you get people to come to church, hey, how was church? It was all right. But, you know, we, we, I actually, I used to dance a little bit more when I was in the club. Wait, what? Like, let's be honest. Let's, let's put your dancing in the club on that video screen right here. And if we're honest, the only way some of you would ever even dance is you would. <laughs> I'm dancing better than Michael Jackson. Right? Yeah, yeah. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Oh, that was cool. Watch that. When you murmur about your present, you exaggerate your past. How good it was back then. How awesome it was back then. And when you find the children of Israel, all they were was really slaves, but yet they were focusing in on the one little thing and not looking at what God took them out of. 
See, the Bible says that sin will last you for a season. But when you murmur and complain, you only focus on that good season. But what about all the heartache and pain that happened when you were on the brink of divorce? What about all that stuff when you had no dignity back then? What about all that stuff when the enemy was robbing from you and stealing and trying to destroy your family? Oh, yeah, no, well, you know, it didn't, well, you know. The murmuring. The murmuring allows you to exaggerate the past. They forgot about the backbreaking work, what they were doing there with Pharaoh. See, their perception of the imminent danger of starvation was also greatly exaggerated. You know what I found is that there's a quote that says, the people who live in the golden age usually go around complaining about how yellow everything looks. I remember when it was way back. I remember back in the good old days. And so because the good old days look good, your present days look bad. Nothing ever looks good right now. That's what murmuring and complaining will do. You know what grumbling also is? And I said this earlier. Grumbling is a contagious problem. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, it says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, you know what I found? Grumbling doesn't start with the community. It starts with the person that, that makes it contagious and a disease to everybody. It starts with one person. It starts with one happening. This happened to me the other day. I was talking with somebody. I've used this as an analogy before, and it really happened to me. I was talking with somebody, and then out of nowhere, I seen somebody taking off running. But they were not, like, running, like, jogging. Like, you know, you see the joggers, and they're like, hey. No, I seen somebody running like they were running from something. And you, you know what I'm talking They have that look like, okay, I need to get out of here or else I'm going to die look. You know what look I'm talking about? Oh, you've had that look before. Don't look at me like that. And so I'm just talking with this person, and then I just see somebody at the corner of my eye just taking out running like. <sighs> this was the crazy thing. I'm talking with them, and I see the guy running, and I go. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I was just like, what? Where are we going? Where are we running? What's going on? You know why? Because fear is contagious. I don't even know why I was running. Matter of fact, I never caught up to the guy. He just kept taking off. So don't you're probably wondering why? Why'd you run, Pastor? I still don't know. <laughs> I still I just saw him running like if he was running away from something. So what I've learned is that when you hear about a community being in fear, when a community isn't complaining, when a community is grumbling, it starts with one person. You know what I've learned? Get away from that one person. You want to change the atmosphere in your house? Change that one person. You know, when I got saved, I had to cut off a few people. It was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was difficult. And if you know me, I grew up playing sports. I played a lot of sports. And when you play sports, our sports teams, we call each other family. Like, that's just the way that it is. We're, we're there. I, I stay the night over my brother's house. I'm over here. We're going over plays. We're talking about, okay, the statistics. We go over everything, morning, noon, and night. Okay, we call. Okay, don't forget this. Make sure, you know, we got a lefty pitching tomorrow. Make sure you watch his curve. So we talk about everything. We're going over every little detail. And so I grew up playing baseball for 20 to 23 years of my life 23 years so in other words some of these men and some of these guys I was literally with them almost every day matter of fact there was one guy who was my best friend we were literally around each other 24 7 
everything. We did everything together. We used to, you know, I don't know if you ever used to play those. Uh, you just uh, kind of get some duct tape and, you know, kind of roll it up, and that was your ball. I don't know if you guys ever did that. You know, we're little ghetto kids. What do you do, right? You got a ball? I ain't got a ball. Get some duct tape. All right, wrap it up. Okay. Make it a ball. You got a stick? You got a bat? Uh, I don't know. Just find a twig. Okay, you know, we just get a twig, and we would just go in the backyard and just start throwing at each other. That was probably the funnest part because we didn't really want to strike them out. We just wanted to hit them. It was fun. And we just go, boom, we throw. We break windows, and oops, my bad. It's not my house. Your house. You got to pay for it. Okay, all right. And just, just having fun. I mean, I grew up with these guys. When I got saved, it was fairly difficult to cut off some of those things. Because when I was involved in sports, we would complain a lot, too, as well. Man, you're not, you should have caught the ball. No, you should have caught the ball. Oh, no. And so I grew up in an atmosphere. you got to get it right. And if you don't get it right, well, then it's your fault. We're pointing, pointing fingers at each other. And sometimes I, when I got saved, I had to learn, man, i got to stop these pointing fingers. But if I'm going to stop it, i got to start it within here. I have to do that. It was a difficult thing to do, but I'll tell you right now, from a 16, 17-year-old kid till now, I don't find myself grumbling and complaining. You want to know the funny thing is? I have met some of my friends from way back when, and we talk. when I talk with them, guess what's one of the first things that come out of their mouth? A complaint. Hey, how you doing? Oh, great to see you. Dude, my job is just horrible right now. I'm just Why? Because that's how we grew up. We grew up just talking about, you know, the complaint. What are we going to do to make it better? We just never made it better, but it was easy, easy to complain about it. With the children of Israel, it didn't start with the community. It started with somebody, but it infected the community. It infected everybody that was around. Now, some of you here this morning, you might be saying, well, the Bible says to love your neighbor. Yes, love your neighbor, but you do not have to listen to their garbage. You don't have to listen to their complaints. There's a big difference. And as you come to the church, we're going to continue to disciple you, and you'll be able to discern the difference because that's what discipleship is, being able to discern the difference of what it is, what love really is, what, what truth really is. And so here, as a matter of fact, if you were here the other night with Pastor Tony Kemp, how were we were here on Friday? Wasn't that awesome? That oh, was powerful. Many of you got healed even that night, and he was even talking about it, right? The first 5,000, you remember that? 5,000, the consumer Christians, they go down 500, 120, the 70. See, there's a big difference between the 5,000 because all the 5,000 want is they want to complain and consume. That's it. Complain and consume. Complain and consume. Somebody say complain, consume. Somebody say complain, consume. But what I love about God is that even though they were complaining, he still met their need. Even though they were complaining, he still met their need. What you will find, you'll see it there in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. You can highlight that if you want. He talks about how he's going to meet their need for hunger. But what I love about this particular verse is that he not only met their need, he said, okay, I'm going to meet your need, but in this need, I'm going to give you a test. See, the thing about this is that when you're in the wilderness, God will provide your need, but at the same time, he will give you a test. See, a lot of times we think that God is going to be the, the sugar daddy. Just provide all my wants and then leave me alone. No, 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 no. God is not a sugar daddy. He's your Abba Father. He's going to provide your need 
But get ready because while you're in there, you got through the test. You got it. All right, good. Get ready for another test. He's going to provide everything that you need. So while you were relieved of one wilderness problem, my friend, we even gain a new one. You know what I have found about complainers? Is that complainers are never satisfied with what they're given. The Bible says that the children of Israel were given manna from heaven. Somebody say manna. Psalms chapter 78 calls manna angel food. Did you know that? The manna was angel food. It came from heaven. It was provided by the angels. Every morning, the angels brought down this heavenly food, and it literally spread it before them. They did not have to work for it. They did not have to prepare it. All they had to do was eat it. But the thing about it is that they still didn't like it. Even though it was a heavenly provision, they still didn't like it. Even though it came from God, they still didn't like it. Listen to me. This is what I've learned, and I'm still continuing to learn. How many of you, you've been married for 20 years or more? Raise your hand, 20 years or more. Okay. So there's a few. In those of you that have been married 20 years or more, did you like and love your spouse every single day of your marriage? <laughs> he said, yes, that's a smart man right there. That's a smart man right there. For those that are listening on the podcast, that's Brother Frank Avalos, amen? <laughs> he said, yes. If we're honest, we probably didn't. Even for those of us that have been married under 20 years, we amen. It gets fairly difficult. But what you and I have learned, for those of us that are married, is that your spouse is provisioned from heaven. It's provisioned from heaven. And you must learn how to take what God has given you. See, a lot of times you think you attained it, but until you change your perspective and realize, no, this was provided from heaven. See, that's why some of you, you hate your job. You can't stand it. Oh, I hate this thing. This thing, oh, it's just so horrible. Look at why are you at a job that you're just so horrible about? Why are you, why are you even there? Because it's just it's causing you stress. It's causing you to See, some of you right now go, Pastor, why are you talking about my job? I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about your perspective. See, you think I'm talking about your job. I'm not talking about your job. You can have the worst boss in the world, but you can still have a great attitude. I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about your perspective. See, until you realize that the job that has been given to you has been provided from heaven, you ain't going to like it. I hate this thing. Murmuring. Just murmuring. Well, if I had that job, if I had this, if I had that, if I had this much money, if I had that much money. Well, what about the money you do have? What about the job you do have? What about the family you do have? What about the clothes you do have? Well, if I had those clothes, if I had that car, if I had that, what about the car you do have? What about what God has provided for you? What about the angel food that's been provided for you? Look at your neighbor saying, manna from heaven. When you read this story, and, and on your own time, I want you to read it. Because, man, you will find the children of Israel as they were complaining. I could basically hear them, you know, translated into the English, you know, from Greek. The, the translation is yuck. Yuck. It's horrible. 
what is this? Why do we got this? Why do we have to have it like that? Why does this have to be this way? Why can't it be another way? I remember the way it was before I got saved. I remember the way it was before I was on that side of the Red Sea. I remember the way I remember. Just nothing but complaining. You know what I have found is that complaining gets you to a point where it blurs your vision and you can never see what God is putting in front of you. It blurs your vision. That's why when other people say, oh, man, can you see? This is going to be great. I can't. Oh, man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be. Uh, I don't really see it. No, it's going to be awesome. Can't you see? It's going to be great, man. Look at look at the, the offices and everything. And, you know, can I be honest with you? When I took some people up there in our offices the first time, the very first thing that I heard was, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I shared with you how the offices looked, right? Now, I'll be honest with you. That was my initial reaction when I saw it. I went, Ooh, man, this is one ugly room. But my perspective vision just changed. You know, it goes quick with me. I just, you know, just right away, just I, I don't see what everyone else sees. That's just the way God has inbred me to be it's just in there that's why when some of you come to me and all messed up oh pastor you can't I don't see what you're looking at in the mirror I don't see that I see what God is going to do with you when you get to the other side into the promised land that's what I see some of you you don't see that yet because your perception is oh man I'm all messed up there's nothing but a bunch of chickens all around me man it's all horrible I, mean, I see everybody else doing over there well if you want to fly with eagles get away from the chickens Get away. Get out of there. Oh, man, I can never, I can never, God can never use me. Yes, God can use you. Listen to me. I know some of you feel like you're in the wilderness right now. I understand that some of you, you could feel the heat, the desert sun, and it makes you feel like you can't get anywhere, and you're not getting that refreshing, but I'm here to tell you here today, God is providing manna from heaven, and it is exactly going to meet all of your needs. It may not exceed the check. It may not exceed what you can see, but my friend, it's going to provide each and every one of your needs. It's the manna from heaven provision from God change your perspective I hate this job no you know what I go I love this job I love this is a great job man my spouse gets on my nerve man I love my spouse I love my spouse really you love your spouse yes I do can't you see it on my face you gotta you gotta learn how to change your perspective my son, man, this guy's always getting on my nerve. Man, I'm gonna suck this kid. You know, I love my son. I love my son. I love my son. I'm gonna pull his hair. I love you, son. That was my Gina Hernandez impression right there. Right there. Right there. You see that? The last thing that I found about complainers is that first, you know, like I shared, complainers are never satisfied with what they're given, but then also complainers are never satisfied with how much they're given. The children of Israel were given specific instructions. Actually, read it. Uh, turn there with me. Exodus chapter 16, verse 16. Verse 16. Says this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. An omer is like a liter and a half. 
The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. As, they, as when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone who gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. What? Moses, one of the greatest leaders of all time, and people didn't pay attention to him? What? You're the greatest life group leader I've ever had, and no one pays attention to you? What? That's crazy. Look, look right here, verse 20. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. I can imagine at this point in time, what Moses had to do is he had to turn to God in prayer. But he prayed not in frustration with God, but in frustration with the people's complaints. He might have prayed even something like this. Oh, Lord, what shall I do? How do I handle this situation? If we're honest, probably there's many times when we're in the, in the desert where we go, man, Lord, what shall I do? I've run out of ideas. I don't know what to do anymore. But what I love is that God responded to Moses' prayer. But Moses' prayer and Moses' desire was not a selfish one, just provide for me and my family. No, God, can you provide for everybody all their needs? Can you provide exactly what they need? See, this story of manna is showing how God would act as to both feed the people and teach them something about discipleship. Somebody say discipleship. Somebody once said that the manna was an ancient form of grits. Both are described as fine and flaky substance, but both are absolutely no good the next day. You got to eat it while you can. Now, this is what I've learned about manna is that when God provides, you need to be able to eat and consume right there. See, what we're doing here is I'm giving you manna from the pulpit. We're, when we get preachers and pastors come up here and they give the word, they're trying to give you the manna that you need for the time and the season in your life. But if you just take it and go, oh, pastor, that was a great word. Oh, that was awesome. That was good. And you go home and do the exact opposite, that word is going to smell like maggots the next week because it was provided for you that day. See, some of you, you've heard messages behind the pulpit on anger, but you go home and you stay angry. Some of you, you've heard, about message, you've heard messages from behind the pulpit about family, but you go home and still despise your family. You've heard messages about getting out of debt, but you still go home and run up the credit card. See, what's happening is that word is going to get spoiled. It isn't until you understand, okay, God, what is it the word that you have for me? I need to act on it now. I need to move on it now, not wait for later. See, there's a message on storage, and then there's a message on eating right away. 
See, this message right here is the manna that you have to eat right away. You got to take this in. That's why we say, man, take some notes. Get it in there. Get it in your spirit. Write the vision down. Make it plain. Get it inside of you because God is about to do something even while you're in the desert. Listen, even while you're in the home, God is trying to speak to you. Even when you're out there painting upside down, Daniel's son, up, down, up, down, wax on, wax off. Why am I waxing this car? Why am I doing, why am I painting like this? Because God is trying to put something inside of you. See, when you're at your job and you're typing away at the keyboard, why I got to tape on this keyboard? Why I got to type this? Why can't somebody else do this? No, God is trying to put something inside of you. Man, why do I got to watch these kids? They ain't even my kids. Get somebody else to watch these kids. No, because God's trying to put something inside of you. There's a fresh word. There's a fresh vision that God's trying to put inside of you. But you got to take it from the angel, from the manna, from heaven, the angel food from heaven. It's being provided for you. You know what I've seen, and you hear this a lot of times, even within the military, they call them rations, right? For those of you that have been in the Marines, the Navy, the rations. And you have to eat it accordingly. In other words, you just can't consume it all. Look at it, look at all this stuff. Look at it, man, this is great. This is awesome. See, that's why some of us, when we come to church, we can easily go, man, look at this. Oh, this is great. This is what, man, we are awesome. Look at Vince up here, up here dancing like that. I was like, hey, hey, hey. I want to dance like that. That's awesome. That's good. I want to dance. I want to move all the song. Look at the lies of the videos. But if you don't invite somebody to partake of this, you're missing out on the opportunity to provide the rations for someone else. See, that's where discipleship comes in. Sharing, evangelizing, sharing the good news with somebody. Listen, I know some of you, you love this church, but do you love it enough to invite somebody else as well? Bring someone else in here. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't want them to see all my other friends. Those are those friends, and these are my friends. I got two separate friends. See, that's two separate tribes. And this is what Moses was trying to do. He was trying to say, no, 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 look, we're all one. We're all together. See, and then that's where you begin to bridge off say, well, you know what? That's where I've had to cut off some complainers. They can't stop complaining. Well, I know what God has called me to do. I know the vision that God has for me. I know exactly where I'm going, and I'm listening, and I see the value of faith and the trusting in God. See, the, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. See, what you and I must learn that every day we must wake up and ask God for the provision that is needed. Every single day, God I need your mercies today. God, I need your strength today. I don't need the strength that you gave me yesterday. I need it new today. I need a new vision. See, some of you in 2017, you cannot do the same thing you did in 2013 because if you did, you're going to find that it's spoiled. It's spoiled. I shared this with our leadership even the other day when we were talking, we were going over things, and, uh, and as we begin to go over some ideas, actually this was probably uh, last year, at the beginning of last year, and as I was sharing with him about some ideas, and we were going over some things, I could see even some of the leaders that were looking and were going, and right in the middle I stopped and I go, I just want you guys to know this, if my father was still alive, I believe he would think like this. He would change, his, and if you knew anything about my father, he was always coming up with crazy, just like, where'd you come up with that, Pastor. How did that, or, or, you know, did God, flesh and blood had not revealed that to you? And he was just crazy like that. Just how, but just because, you know why? Because he always wanted freshness. He was not satisfied, or actually, this is what we've learned. Be content, but never satisfied. Be content with what you have, but not satisfied with where you're at. 
That's, I think that was a revelation for somebody right now. Be content with what you have. Thank God for the car. Thank God for my spouse. Thank God for the food I have, the clothes I have. Be content with it, but don't be satisfied with just where you're at. God wants something more for you. See, on your way to the promised land, the journey is something awesome. The journey is something powerful. The journey is something great. That's why it was very important what God was trying to show them, that the manna I'm giving you, you're going to need this. Matter of fact, when you read all the way to the end, the Bible says that the manna was provided for them all the way up to the promised land. Every single day. Think about that. For 40 years. That's a long time. How do I know it's long? I'm not even 40 yet. Don't laugh. Some of you wish you were 40. Forty years. Manna was provided. See, God was trying to show them something of the trustworthiness of God and the faithfulness of God. It was a symbol. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 33, and with this I close, it says, So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. Everything that God was providing for them, God wanted them to remember it. On the way to the pro promise, don't forget the process. On the way to the promised land, we heard a powerful word. If you were here on Wednesday night, if you were not here on Wednesday night, you need to go back. I believe Brother Aldrin on his Facebook live, he had it right there. Listen to that message. Because it actually wasn't even really a message, if I'm honest with you. Or it was, it was a prophetic message. We word it like that. Prophetic word that was shared to us and then also to uh, Church of the Cross. This was a little scary. If you were here, you, even as I was listening, I was like, whoa. It's powerful. And then he started sharing with us. And they even asked me, what did he say? And honestly, more than half of it, I didn't remember. Because the Lord was just speaking. I said, wow. I went back and listened to it. But what he was talking about was actually confirmation from other evangelists and other pastors. And they don't even know each other. They don't even cross paths. Roy De La Garza, they don't cross paths. Tony Kemp, they don't cross paths. They don't even know each other. They don't even know the other person's name. But they all shared. And I remember specifically, and Dick Mills too, also Dick Mills. They all said the same thing. It was written down. I'll never forget. That was the day that actually Dick Mills had Brenda. I'll never forget that. Running around, right? Wasn't that the run, run of freedom, I think it was? Run for freedom. I'll never forget. That was awesome. Run for freedom. But he also shared another word. My father was still alive at that time, if I remember correctly, right? He was still alive. But the same word that Dick Mills gave back in 2001, 2002, was the same word that Roy De La Garza gave in 2005. The same, like, it was almost the exact same words. And I was like, oh, my gosh. But you know what I have found is that we look at the words and we go, okay, I want the results. Give me that result. And so because we look at the result and then we look at our process, we go, God's not in this. God can't be in this. There's no way that God can be in this. There's no way. And so because we think like that, God told Moses and Moses told Aaron, he said, get a jar and put the manna in there. 
so that they can remember what it was like or what they went through. Can you bring that over here? Get a jar and put it, uh, put manna inside of the jar. See, these jars represent what God has done within your life while you're in the wilderness. This jar is the manna. Now, there's nothing in it, but you could put something in it. See, for me, the first jar here represents the pancake mix with Sister Julie. If you've never heard the story, powerful story about how they had no food whatsoever. And for those of you that have ever been in a household with no food and lots of kids, it's a scary moment. I've had a couple of those moments. When you got kids complaining, running around, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, feed me, feed me. And you look in the cupboards and there's no food. That's a scary thought. That's a scary feeling. And then the wife, what do we do? And then the husband's got to be all calm. And then, you know, but when you ain't got no food in the house, even as a husband, you're like, man, I can't be calm right now. I'm upset. I'm just upset too. I'm upset, upset as you are. So here was Sister Julie upset. Pastor Sonny, upset. What are we going to do? Men come over the house. We need to feed these men. We got to feed them something. So Sister Julie goes in the cupboard, takes out some pancake mix, puts it inside the bowl and begins to stir it. As she begins to stir it, the pot begins to overflow and fills another pot. She only had enough pancake mix according to what was in that bag for maybe three, four pancakes. That was all that was in there. Put it in there, begin to, then dripped into another bowl, dripped into another bowl. She had enough pancakes, not only for all the, the men that she fed there, but even enough for her family and then some. It was the jar of manna that provided. This other jar, story my father tells when he had Nikki Cruz one day. He had Nikki Cruz, and he wanted Nikki Cruz. Nikki, we're going to get Nikki Cruz. He's going to come, and we're going to do a rally. It's going to be awesome. Matter of fact, we're going to take him to Santa Paula. Now, if you know anything about Santa Paula, Santa Paula is like a smaller Dakota. You guys know Dakota, right? I know you know Dakota, right? Dakota, this is, you know, a little gangster town, a little Santa Paula, drug addict town. There's no money in Santa Paula, especially back in the 80s. There's no money. So my father said, I'm going to get Nikki Cruz. We're going to get him. We're going to pack out the auditorium. So they pack out the auditorium, and they're going to pay Nikki Cruz. You know what he was going to pay him with? A handshake and a hug. That's what he was ready to pay him with. But he said, no, you know what? I'm going to believe. Believe God. Service is over. A lady walks up to him, hands him a check in his hand. Boom. Doesn't even look at it, takes the check, puts it in Nikki Cruz's hand. Says, there you go. Opens it up. It's for the exact amount to pay for the Nikki Cruz and everything that needed to be done. Manna from heaven. Because you wonder, well, how does it happen? Well, that's why it's called manna from heaven. We don't know where it comes from, but we know it comes. Another jar. We were doing an event here, Shaking the Bay, one of the first ones we ever did. My father was crazy. He said, we're going to do it in a park. Didn't know how much it cost. Didn't know anything. Put everything together. And this is what I found. 
We put this whole event. It was awesome. It was powerful. We had a great time. Out of that event, we had, I think it was probably maybe, I don't know, 1,500, 1,600 people that came to Weeks Park. Powerful event. Our Blahos. The whole event was paid for. Right? The whole event was paid for. So we can go, oh, okay, that doesn't have to be in the jar. You're right. But you know what I'll never forget? 1,500 people came. The very next week, you know how many people we have from that event come to our church? One. One. Manna. In there. Keith Conti. That's it. Just one. Angel food. You have to know and recognize what goes. See, these are the things that you remember. Now, for those of you that are here and you're saying, you're in the wilderness, I want to challenge you here today. You may not have the fancy new car. You may not have the big house, all the clothes, all the shoes, and all the, the, the money in your bank account. But don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you do have. And I want to challenge you. Put something in this jar. Take the jar. And see, this is the, this is the key. You put it in the jar, and the Bible says when you put it in there, we're putting it in here for the purpose to tell the next generation. So this is not for you. It's for your children's children. It's for your children to recognize, look what, look what God did with my mom and dad. Look, look what God did with my grandma and grandpa. They were about to divorce, but they didn't get divorced. They were about to let it all go, but look, it didn't happen. Look at it. One time, my grandpa, he thought about committing suicide, but he never did. Look, look at my grandma. She, she was going to leave my grandpa, but she never did. Look, look what God did within my family's life. See, the grumbling and the complaining don't allow you to see a jar. If you grumble, you're like, well, I ain't got nothing. You're, you're never going to see anything. All, all you're going to really just see is an empty jar. But if you get rid of that and say, okay, God, I may not have everything that I want, but, God, you've provided me with everything that I need. And so you go into your house and you put some your things in the jar and you put it right there. And when people come over, they look and they say, hey, what is that? I say, you know what that is? It's angel food. It's what God provided for me when I was in the wilderness. We were going to give up. But I didn't. We felt like throwing in the towel. But I didn't. We thought all hope was lost for our daughter. But we found hope. Thought our daughter was never going to walk. But she's walking. We put it in the jar. I was supposed to be dead. In prison. But I'm not. All hell was breaking loose. But instead, I found heaven. When people come to your house, they look at the jar, and you could tell them about the wilderness. Listen, my friend, I understand that we're not, as we would call in that promise yet that Dean was talking about. I understand that. But we're in this wilderness process. You can come to the piano. We're in this wilderness process, and sometimes it gets easy to focus on the wilderness. I don't have everything. I don't have this, I don't have this, and I don't have that. I understand that. It's real easy to focus on that. So that's why some of you here today, while you're in your right mind, you need to get a jar, and you need to put something in it, and you got to remember what God brought you out of. You need to remember how God provided for you. 
You need to remember how you were standing in that line and you didn't even have any money. But while you were standing in that line, somebody came in and paid for you. You need to remember when you were at home and you had nothing and so you got to knock on the door. Somebody came in, brought some groceries. Or maybe you got no groceries, but you just, they, they came over and they gave you a hug. You just needed a hug. That was when I was at my lowest. All right. Put it in the jar. Make it your highest. Some of you here today, don't look at it and go, man, I'm just a bunch of men. I don't, this is hard. This is resin. I don't even know why I have this right now. Why would, it, why would even God do this to me? The fact that you're is a me is, should be grateful, gratefulness enough. But I do want to say this. While we're in the wilderness and while we're moving forward, the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God is shown through the symbol of the manna. I don't know what you're going to put in this jar, but I do want to challenge you. Victory Outreach, put something in the jar. Put something in the jar. Don't look at, man, but I failed. Don't, no, 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 don't worry about that. All have failed. All have fallen short. All of us have messed up. Uh, don't trust me. Because if we wanted to, we could probably get a jar ten times this size and put all our failures in it. But you know what God does? God says, give me all your sins, give me all your failures, and I got to see that I'm going to throw it in there, and we ain't going to remember it anymore. So that's the sea. That's large. We understand the failures. That's okay. But your angel food, what is it? What is it that you got to remember? Now, for some of you, you can literally do this. You can actually get a jar put something in there. See, that was the day. This is what God did. I remember that day. And then when your kids go, Dad, what is that? Mom, what is that? Oh, let me tell you the story. Sit down, turn off the TV, and let me share a little story with you. That was the day I went into the home. That was the day I got married. That was the day my marriage came back together. We were all lost. That was the day that God gave me and you together. The day you were born. I don't know. Whatever it is. But some of you, I want to challenge you. Don't focus on the negative. Don't focus on the grumbling. I had it better. Okay, I understand that. But when you want to stop grumbling, pick up a jar, put something in it, and let it be a symbol of God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. Bow your heads. Father, I pray right now, Lord God, that you would touch the hearts and the minds, the bodies, and the souls.